Welcome into another edition of the Chief Stockwatch Podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different this week. A lot of times we play our games and uh, do different activities, but today we're going to be bringing in an expert on the NFL draft to help me break down the Chiefs draft class. I'm joined now by Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Ryan is a scout for the Draft Network. He's covered all the players. He's coming off an incredible draft cycle. He also used to work for the Washington Commanders as a scout as well, so... He's got lots of great stories to tell about that. But Ryan, I heard you came into Kansas City for the draft. What were your impressions of the city? Did you have a good time? Yeah, first things first, appreciate you having me on, Price. And it was, uh, yeah, I told you, you know, off, off, off camera, got some good barbecue and spent some three or four days in the city. And it was uh, hospitable people there in Kansas City. I love the city and flying in. There wasn't much around it and you land there and it really kind of blows up. So it was a good three or four days down there in Kansas City. Well, we're just glad that you got to come to the good airport, and it, that's a brand new airport that we just brought in. The old airport was like a, a dinosaur, man. So really glad that you got to see the good side of everything, and we're it, w- it was an incredible time. We're very proud of how the city handled it. Yeah. But uh, before we dig into the Chiefs draft, we actually need to talk a little bit about a recent signing that the Chiefs made. Last night, Tom Pelissero reported that the Chiefs signed veteran left tackle Donovan Smith from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was the Super Bowl champion on the 2021 team, the Super Bowl that we don't talk about in Kansas City. Um, And he is now joining the team. Now, the Chiefs have already made it official as we're recording this, which makes me think the deal was reported up to one year, $9 million. The up to is probably doing quite a bit of work there, considering the Chiefs were probably hovering around $4 million in cap space, and they've already made the signing official. My guess is that this is an in- a heavy incentive-laden deal, kind of similar to what the Chiefs did with Juju Smith-Schuster last year. Um, honestly, when you look at what the Chiefs' offensive line is – there was the plan as of yesterday was probably Juwan Taylor. Brett Veach said in a press conference that Juwan Taylor was going to play left tackle. And then Lucas Nying, Darian Kennard, and new, newly drafted Wanya Morris were going to be battling it out at the right tackle spot. However, Donovan Smith has only ever played left tackle. And there were some reports as well that uh, it was basically looked at that he was going to come in and be a starter. So the presumption is, is that Juwan Taylor is now to be going to the right side and Donovan Smith's going to be on the left side. Um, real quick, Ryan, just kind of get your, I, I don't know how much Donovan Smith you've watched lately, but just kind of, what is your analysis of the signing and what do you think it means for the chiefs? Yeah, for me, bottom line, I, I'm always a proponent of getting guys in the building where you can compete for snaps. Um, we know that Brett Veach is a guy that wants to get guys multitude of spots, whether it's your, whether it's a guy that not people, a lot of people like, whether the consensus or it's his guy, um, in free agency or the draft, it's going to be his guy and you bring in Donovan Smith and you mentioned it. He's lived at left tackle in his career. He's been super reliable, reliable. These first really his first few years in the career, he's not 25, but he's not 35. And you mentioned as far as he won a super bowl with Tampa Bay, that is the expectation in Kansas city. It's not trying to reach a super bowl. That is the expectation of being there in February and winning the darn thing and lifting the Lombardi trophy. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes and guys like Travis Kelsey, on your roster. So I love the addition. I really do. As far as Jawan Taylor, for me, the evaluation is still up in the air. This guy was a highly drafted out of Florida, lived at right tackle at Florida, lived at right tackle in Jacksonville. I wasn't overwhelmingly impressed with him during his time with the Jaguars. And then I know we'll get into it as far as with Wanya Morris and competing with Lucas Nyang and Darian Kennard, but you bring in a guy like Donovan Smith that is a veteran in this league. He understands how to win. There's not a defensive front or defensive edge rusher, whether you're facing a hybrid guy at 235 pounds or facing a guy that's a little bit heavier at 255, 260. He's seen all those guys. So, and when we know, Price, the best way to allow those quarterbacks to reach the performance ceiling, a guy like Patrick Mahomes, is to keep him upright, allowing him to look at the secondary, not with his back on the ground looking up at the sky. So I don't mind the Donovan Smith pick at all. He's not old by any means. A lot of experience under his belt. 
And it's going to just add more competition along the front five, whether they play in a left tackle, right tackle, whatever they plan to do up front. Yeah, it's very clear that the Chiefs are just really heavily buying into this mindset that if we keep Patrick Mahomes upright and keep him clean, that he can elevate wide receiver play around him, which, you know, with the Tom Brady model and Peyton Manning model, I mean, when you talk about him and that breath as a player, it's not a bad philosophy to buy into. Now, they have invested in capital into pass catchers, you know, two second round picks and wide receivers we'll get into here in a little bit. But I agree with you. I just I think this move needs to be looked about at raising the floor and not the ceiling. I understand that Donovan Smith has had quite a few holding penalties in the last couple of years. You can find plenty of tip, uh, clips of him getting roasted by the Buccaneers fans and everything. But I one thing that I would bring up is that interior offensive line was incredibly dinged up last year. Uh, for the Buccaneers. He's going to be playing next to the best left guard he's played next to since at least 2021. I would argue in his career as Joe Tooney, I, I think is still a, probably a top five interior offensive lineman in the league. And you still have Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith there. You have great infrastructure there. And, you know, you brought up Juwan Taylor. He's not necessarily just like, I, I'm not sure why we were penciling him at left tackle as good. It's possible that mm -hmm. that transition doesn't go well. And putting him on the right side, the good news is, is like when you're looking at your evaluation of Juwan Taylor, there's just so much chaos going on yeah. in his time there. This is the best he ever looked with Doug Peterson. Obviously, Doug Peterson from the Andy Reid tree. There's going to be a lot of similarities there. I think this raises the, the floor of the group. And, you know, I, I frankly would be shocked if anyone's starting at left tackle besides Donovan Smith this year. And this gives Wanya Morris a good year to just kind of redshirt. And he's a true swing tackle. He has played some left tackle. He's played right tackles. Well, I think in the NFL, he probably is a right tackle. But I, this is a, a raise the floor move. And considering, you know, talking about the 2021 Super Bowl, this is something that the Chiefs are committed to. More bodies, more competition breeds the best offensive line. Absolutely. Fully agree. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the Chiefs draft here a little bit. Uh, we'll start. We'll just go in order. Um, it was a very volatile first round. I think Chiefs fans, we were all holding our breath at pick 20. Like, we're like, oh, baby, this board's breaking so well for us. We've got all four receivers still on the board. We still had on Anton Harrison on the board, a couple of pass rushers. And even Brian Brzee was someone that we had talked to talked about a little bit, too. And then it was just gut punch after gut punch. But the Chiefs held their water. And at pick 31, they selected the edge out of Kansas State, Felix Anaduke Uzama. Ryan, just talk a little bit about your evaluation of FAU and what you think of the fit for him and KC. Yeah, it's funny. Earlier that afternoon, us at TDN actually had us over. He was over at our draft house in Kansas City. So we talked with him and, and his teammate Deuce Vaughn. That we went to Dallas later in the draft. Uh, Felix, for me, Price, is was the most explosive player along the line of scrimmage in this entire draft as far as a guy that can get off the ball. And you can never have enough guys that understand how to push the pocket. We know that they prioritized edge rusher last year. Grabbing a guy, for me, I was higher on than most in George Karlaftis after watching Ryan Kerrigan in Washington for such a long time as a guy that won primarily with power. But you look at Felix and his ability to bend the edge. You look at the old combine um, drills where you have the hula hoops and you got the towel and you're, and you're running around the hoop and you're, you're picking up the towel and you're dropping it. His ability to bend the outside and then put that outside foot in the ground and press the inside. He can win with power. He can win with speed. I want to see him get in the weight room a little bit more. That functional strength is something that he's going to have to improve upon if he wants to win with power consistently. So guys can't overset him to just counter that speed. But I really like the Felix and Udike Uzoma pick along that front four, because as I mentioned at the top, you just have to get guys that understand how to rush the passer. And he was one of those main pieces along that big 12 winning defense for Kansas State. First off, the Carl Loftus and Kerrigan comparison. I love that. That's the best comparison <laughs> I've heard for him. Because like, yeah, like if you asked me just year after year after in, in the NFL, like, hey, who's a solid 
defensive lineman that's like not you know doesn't pop a lot but you just look down there in the air like hey seven eight sacks every year kerrigan that that makes a lot of sense and the way he wins are very similar right like a lot of effort power that sort of thing and then yeah it's fantastic to hear how high you are on fau looking at him i i feel like he the, the the thing that kind of kept him in that fringe first round early second round was that there was no superpower right like a lot of times we talk about players like um recruiting profile maybe like when you're talking about like brian brzee or or miles murphy or they have a superpower in the sense of freakish athleticism like nolan smith or the traits of tyree tyree wilson fau didn't have a superpower but he felt like he did everything well there was no particular weakness and you talk about you know what he brings to the line as a whole i think as long as you are able to keep Chris Jones and KC, which is something you know we're really hoping for an extension for him yeah. here in the offseason, that gives like that is your you know that's your star along that defensive line and allows them to build and do a lot of different things around Chris Jones and bringing Felix in. I feel like he brings something different than they've had. They he's a little bit more speed, a little bit more edge, a little bit more bend, and I think it sounds like probably his one weakness was his run defense. I don't know. Did mm-hmm. you kind of see that that he struggled in the run? A, a little bit. Yeah, it's hard to evaluate sometimes these these Big Twelve defenders. A lot of these Big Twelve defenses run those three three five stacks, so it's it's sometimes it's difficult to project guys to the next level. But obviously, Brett Beach saw the explosion that that I did. A lot of other people did on tape to where you just have to get after the quarterback. It doesn't matter if you're Patrick Mahomes back there, or you're one of the lower level starters, or some of the rookies that are entering the league this year. You have to get after the passer, and, and I I wouldn't expect you know him to come in and have eight nine sacks from year one. But I expect the pressures to be higher, probably the upper echelon of, of rookie edge rushers this year, and probably expect four to five sacks this fall. So, again, you mentioned Chris Jones. He's going to eat up bodies in the interior. George Karlaftis is going to get some attention on the other side. He's got a year under his belt already. You got guys like potentially Nick Bolton and Willie Gay coming downhill through those A and B gaps. And then you got Felix on the opposite side blowing past the tackle. So, I really do like the fit of FAU in Kansas City. And, and yeah, I, I thought it was really important for them to get someone who wasn't a tweener. Like there was a lot of like Keon White smoke to the Chiefs there for a while. Yes. And um, here in KC, we were having like uh, Vietnam War flashbacks to the Breland Speaks selection because there was oh. a lot of similarities between them and the player and um, kind of like a tweener that's like a little bit oversized for an edge. Uh, I didn't think that was going to happen because they don't draft older players like White was, but he was someone who, you know, attended the draft and it kind of made sense there at the end of the first round. I was really glad to see that they just got someone who can stay on the edge and out there because Aminahu was a great signing that they made. And but he's another guy that, like, honestly, if you want to maximize his skill set, he's probably rushing from the inside on obvious passing downs. But let's move on to Rasheed Rice. I feel like so the Chiefs trade up for Rasheed Rice up to pick 55. I feel like this is probably the pick that may kind of swing this whole draft. Obviously, in the in day three, those are kind of more lottery tickets that you hope to cash in. Chiefs have cashed a lot of those in here lately. But with Rasheed Rice, he, you know, some people, he was as low as wide receiver 11. Some people as high as wide receiver five. Ryan, where did you have him ranked against the class? And just kind of what is his profile overall? Yeah, so when you turn on the SMU tape, especially earlier this fall, especially like the Maryland game earlier in the year, he was someone that was at times no one could hold his lunch. He was overwhelmingly dominant. And he's not someone that's a 4-3, 4-4 guy. He's going to be a low 4-5s guy, mid 4-4-5s. But you talked about it earlier with Patrick Mahomes as far as raising the ceiling of these receivers. I really do like the Rasheed Rice pick. I am surprised 
where he went, how high he went. Um, there were some legitimate concerns off the field. I won't talk about it on here, but some teams had, so I was surprised he went that high. Um, but I'm here to talk about him as a football player, and I think in this offense, as far as his ability to rise above the rim, take the ball off of corners' heads, his yak potential, and what I really value about his game and projecting him into the offensive scheme with Patrick Mahomes is we know how much Patrick is able to create outside of structure and not create as a runner right away, but keep his eyes up and able to deliver the ball at every single arm angle. Rasheed Rice, when his route tree breaks down, his ability to create in sandlot plays, and you're just drawing it in the dirt, his ability to find those open areas, he did a really good job with Tanner Mordecai down at SMU when things broke down and getting catching the ball and making a guy or two miss and creating a 10-yard catch into 20, 25 yards and potentially taking it to the end zone. So I know I mentioned the 4-5 speed. I think he plays faster than that. The athletic intangibles are there above a 40-inch vert, so he's explosive. I think sometimes he gets a little bit lazy in his routes on the outside. I want to see him be a little bit more physical as a run blocker. If you don't block in the NFL, unless you're Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs or Justin Jefferson, you got to block on the outside, even stick your face in. Not asking you to be dominant, but just stick your face in as well. But I do like the Rasheed Rice pick, and I just I think he's going to fit well with the receivers that they do have in the building and playing off of guys like Travis Kelsey on the perimeter. Yeah, it, it like I said, it's it's one of those picks that feels like it's really going to define the class. There's some things I really like. Like I love seeing a player in an offense where there's no other threat, and it's just them, and he still cashes in. Yeah, like Michael Michael Mayer was a little bit like that every year, where it's just hey, it's going to be him and only him, and they still win. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, there was some talk of a turf toe injury with him and mm-hmm. it, it seems like it really started to bother him here later in the year. Um, I, one thing, one thing that I wonder about with him too, is he does kind of profile a little bit different than what the chiefs have selected. They usually like separators. He's not quite as much of a separator. You know, you think back to the McCall Hardman pick, obviously Tyree kill. Um, they, they, they're constantly over-evaluating or I shouldn't say over-evaluating, but over-emphasizing speed at the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. This isn't quite that. And I think, you know, this might go back to a little bit of what they had with Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, what he brought to them and kind of looking for more of like a, power player on the outside or in the slot. One thing that really sticks out to me that I've heard several evaluators say is that uh, Rasheed Rice plays like he's six, six when he's six foot. And mm-hmm. he even said in the post game or in the uh, draft press conference that he models his game after Deandre Hopkins. I don't, I don't see that the contested catches and all that. He's very good at it, but I don't see that type of player. Do you agree? Yeah, not, not, not right now. Uh, I think that may come down the line. Um, and I think you mentioned as far as separation and separation always translates from really like these high school kids coming out to college to the NFL. Um, that's not his game. So I think in the early portions of his career, guys are going to get up in his face inside that contact window and force him to get off the line of scrimmage. Not every single release has to be North South. You can side shuffle, you can back up and then make your way forward. Think of the point guards without the ball in their hand, working off the line of scrimmage. You look at Stefan Diggs, Devonta Adams, the elites of the league and separating. So being more of a tempoed route runner, I, I want to see him progress in. And even if you just ask him to be a potential red zone threat right away, I, I know you're talking about contested catches, but Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, you don't have to be the biggest guy in the world to be a red zone threat, but that separation comes into it. And I don't want to, I don't want to find myself at the seven yard line on third and goal and asking him to be two yards away from the outside hash and asking him to run a fade route. That's what Washington in the past used Josh Dotson for at a TCU, and that didn't work out. So Rasheed, I, I like more than than Josh Dotson. Can't believe I have to bring up that name with a guy like Rasheed Rice. I do like Rasheed more, but there are some minor fine tunings to his game that will allow him to reach that performance ceiling. But bottom line, Price, you're playing with Patrick Mahomes. He's you're open. He's going to feature the ball right in your chest. 
and it's going to allow him to reach that ceiling. I think earlier in his career, being peppered with targets. When I whenever I look at him, my and I know not every player comp should be like an active NFL great, uh, yeah, but yeah. whenever I put his RAS next to Brandon Ayuk, they're almost identical profiles, and that that's how I would really like to see him play. Where you're you're relying mostly on yak and athleticism, and those are really his strengths. So that's that's kind of like the goal that I would like to see his game be modeled after, not this contested catch um you know Correct. type of type of model so but it, it's good it sounds like you're higher on rice than some maybe not as high as some people are but um all right let's move on we can kind of fold this into the donovan smith conversation a little bit too what what did you see from wanye morris he's a player that like when i go down and look at the profile i'm like oh this is a this is a top 30 pick probably he has nfl sized arms and length he's very athletic a five star recruit the only person that was behind him in his recruiting class was the 10th overall pick in darnell wright and then he transfers to oklahoma and takes a year behind anton harrison and now he's getting drafted in the third round why why did wanye morris kind of fall a little bit and what are just kind of what do you think he's doing for the chiefs in the future long term yeah, so for me, he didn't he didn't really fall on my board where I had Adam as a day two guy. Um, and then we know that Brett Veach loves those Oklahoma tackles. I know a lot of the talk was Anton Harrison to the Chiefs, and they got his the other Oklahoma tackle in Wanye. But you mentioned it, five-star recruit, was at Tennessee, 2019 all-SEC all freshman team comes to Oklahoma. And I just like the tools that he has. I really do. And he's not going to be someone that is physically dominant. You kind of see these guys like a Darnell Wright on that north-south plane, even a Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse in the run game versus blowing over guys. That's not going to be Wanya Morris's game. He wins with technicality. He wins with athleticism. And for me, as a, as a young guy coming in with fresh legs, you're competing with older guys that are Donovan Smith that's been in the building, a, a front five that isn't overwhelmingly old, but guys like Joe Tooney and then Lucas Niang's been around the block a little bit. Even Darren Kennard's working in the first couple of years in his career. But I think Wanye, his ability in this Chiefs offense, I want to allow him to come in right away and compete with guys like Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor. He has the ability to play right away. You mentioned the length. That matters for teams. He doesn't have these 31s or 32s for arms. He's got long appendages on the, on the upper half. And then you combine that ability in the lower half to whether he wants a vertical set or really press out and work back up in the pocket if he oversteps a guy. He plays a little bit over his feet, a little bit too much for me. I want to see him use his leverage a little bit more, win first with his hands inside the breastplate of offensive linemen. I don't want to see guys be able to push that chest back and then he's jolted back in Patrick Mahomes' lap. But those are small things within his game that as you get more and more snaps and have that grace period of adjusting from being at, in the Big 12 at Oklahoma and facing some of the rushers like FAU at Kansas State and coming into the league in the AFC West where we know there's some guys he's going to have to face like a Tyree Wilson and Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. The names go on and on. But I really do like the Juan A. Morris pick because athletes matter at the tackle position. And I really think for me on my board is where I had him in the middle of day two. And I'm glad the Chiefs took him there because he's going to be a heck of a player, I think. I, I think, you know, uh, the Athletic Football Podcast, they talk a lot about um, infrastructure and how much it matters for players. And they, and this is something that they brought up on their stream about one A. Morris coming to work with Andy Heck and that you have so much offensive line in infrastructure there. And I think this is kind of going back to like the Eagles motto a little bit where it's like, hey, we never want to be in a position along the offensive line where we have to have a starter. We have to go sign one in, in free agency and yeah. have to go draft one or whatever. And the Chiefs just have done this twice now. We've replaced Mitch Schwartz and Eric Fisher. This year we replaced Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley. And, you know, they keep getting in this position. I I, I think 
part of the long-term answer to that question of who is playing tackle is Wanya Morris, whether it's on the left side or the right side. Real quick on him, uh, I'm assuming you're probably thinking like right tackle would be the best landing spot for him, or do you think he has any potential to kick over the left side? And then there was even a few evaluators. Honestly, I I think he's a little too big height-wise to kick inside. Yeah, I don't think he plays with a ton of leverage to play in, inside at guard right now. Um, but I, w- I would slate him in at right tackle. And and again, like I said, I want him to compete from day one. I'm not giving Donovan Smith, Jawan Taylor the roles because they've been in the league a little while. This isn't this isn't high school football. Just because you're a senior, you start over the freshman, you start over the sophomore. Let the guy compete. He's got five star ped- pedigree as an, as a high school talent. I mentioned the All SEC freshman team. He was good at Oklahoma. He kind of lived in the shadows of Anton Harrison. I really do like Wanya's game. He was at the Senior Bowl. I think he got injured, if I remember correctly, down in Mobile. Didn't play the whole week and didn't play in the game. But I really do like the Wanya Morris pick price, and I would, I would have him come in and compete absolutely at right tackle from day one. Yeah, if, it definitely feels like this year at training camp up in St. Joseph, we're just going to be watching the best five. You know, like who? You know, are they going to? It's possible they could put Taylor on the left side and let Smith. I, I'm not sure. It's definitely going to be a best five situation. But the good news yeah. is, like, if the floor of your offensive line is players like Darian Kennard and Lucas Nying, it's not great. But there's there's a you can do a lot worse. Can do a lot worse. Yeah. Let's move on to the next pick. This one. This one was a little bit more curious. This one kind of smells uh, special teamsy at first year. This mm-hmm. is uh, the pick of Shamari Connor. They traded up. They traded a uh, future fifth and pick one thirty four to go up to one nineteen to get Shamari Connor out of Virginia Tech. Uh, we'll call him defensive back right now because we're not exactly sure where he's going to play. Ryan, tell me about Shamari Connor. Yeah, Virginia Tech hasn't pumped out a ton of guys recently. It, it's been rough down there in Blacksburg. Um, but Shamari getting eyes on him, another senior bowl guy. Uh, so back-to-back picks there for, or excuse me, with Rasheed, Wanye, and with Shamari's back-to-back-to-back senior bowl picks for the Chiefs. I am right there with you. I don't know where I want to slot Shamari right now. I know Juan Thornhill is gone and you got young corners on the outside. And we'll talk about Nick Jones here in a little bit from Ball State, who I really like. Um, but Shamari, I think he should earn his spot right away as a core special teamer and even a hybrid defender as far as you want to play him in the box. There's a lot of teams around the league that bring in these hybrid safety bodies to play inside and be that tight end seam eraser. You look at Keanu Neal, you look at Derek Forrest, you look at what Marte Mapu now will be with the New England Patriots coming over from Sacramento State. These are these types of defenders that every NFL defense needs, even though you have guys like Willie Gay and Nick Bolton within your defense. So for me in the fourth round, get some value with Shamari as far as he can wear a ton of hats and wear them well. I just want to see where ultimately he aligns in Spag's defense for ultimately find that performance ceiling for him. Yeah, I one thing that stands out to me is with the safety position, we we want to believe in Brian Cook. He was a second round pick last year. Yeah. Um but we don't we don't know a whole lot. He kind of was just a dime backer last time, mixed in occasionally, but didn't play a ton of snaps. Basically, the only sure thing the Chiefs have right now at safety is Justin Reed. So you bring in Brian Cook. Um, they signed Mike Edwards from Tampa Bay, who's always kind of been a third safety. And then they brought back Deion Bush, who's kind of, again, a, a core special teamer. I don't I don't think you're married to anyone in that group besides Cook and Justin Reed. So you let Connor come in. I, I think, you know, kind of looking at him, I think things work best for him in coverage when it's all in front of him. Whether rather than kind of like streaking down in coverage, but the Chiefs, the Chiefs have kind of done this a little bit. They've they've earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to defensive back play, especially on day two and day three, because they've they've just seemed to find these guys with 
traits that they're able to coach up. They've kind of moneyballed the defensive back position for quite some time outside of Trent McDuffie. So I'm interested to see, and I know it's tough because we as fans don't really value special teams all that much, but it matters when it matters. And the Chiefs, despite how the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship game went special teams-wise, actually had some pretty rough special teams play um, last year. And it was these type of contributors. It was missed punts and fumbled punts yep. and missed kicks, but also it's not making open field tackles. It's you know um, not doing the right thing on kickoffs when there's a squib kick or an onside kick. So um, Shamari Connor definitely raises the floor of that safety group. Next, Absolutely. we're going to... Move on to B.J. Thompson out of Stephen F. Austin. He's a guy that, and I know mock drafts only mean so much, but a lot of times you would see him mocked like the sixth or seventh. He ends up going to the Chiefs. Tell me a little bit about B.J. Thompson. Yeah, I love small school guys. They don't get enough attention. Uh, B.J. can play. I think you look at his production, not just as sacks, but pressures and TFLs. That shows me the guy that has a constantly hot motor that can chase down running backs in the flat areas of the defense. And as I mentioned it at the top, with a guy like FAU, you can never have enough guys to get after the passer. And I think BJ is going to be one of those guys that really opens eyes in camp. I think he's going to be a camp darling as far as people go, you know, who's that? And you're going to say, oh, that, that's BJ Thompson from, from Stephen F. Austin, a kid that really doesn't have enough attention in this class. He, he received some buzz as we move forward towards December and January. But as we got closer to pro days and the combine and these pre-showcase events, that really kind of the buzz fell off a little bit for him, in my opinion, from what I heard inside league circles. But I really like the addition. I think it provides a ton of value. And again, edge three, edge four, edge five, you've got to have guys that can come off with some juice and he's not going to be a three down guy right away. I want to see him work in the run and be able to set the edge better against those, those pulling guards and pulling tackles. But the athletic intangibles are there for me. The production is there. Small school guy. You want to see him dominate at his level. He did so. I like the pick. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting with him. We've kind of gone through the developmental edge thing several times. Uh, most recently, Joshua Kando was a guy that they took very different profiles yeah. as far as like physically. They also did it with Tano Passigno a little bit. And it, it makes sense to gamble on the traits. He's interesting. I listening to some of the audio that they put out of like the phone calls that they make to the draft picks. This definitely sounds like a guy that Joe Cullen wanted to get. Um, here in Casey, we really closely followed the Steve Spagnola thresholds of defensive linemen, which is like wingspan over a certain amount. They almost always weigh over 260 pounds. They're almost always like six foot two or taller. And he's, he does not fit those molds at all. But it sounded like they were hoping to put a, quite a bit of weight on him. Um, I know he's already bulked up a little bit since like when he came out of his playing weight to what he did at his pro day. Um, I think he was a shrine bull guy too. Um, but I, he's, he's a freak athlete and it's just, it's going to be, well, it, it's definitely boomer bust. Like I, I could see it working. Um, I think, you know, the path to him being successful is kind of like maybe what the Detroit lions did with James Houston this past year, where it's like, Hey, if you can get an obvious passing down situations, this is a clear mismatch. Um, but against the run at this point in the NFL, I, I don't know about him setting out the outside. And then obviously he's a little bit older of a prospect. He was out of football for a year, had a, a failed drug test at Baylor. That's part of what led him to Stephen F. Austin. Um, but, but he's interesting. He's one of those that you either come out, you either just kind of forget about it or you come out looking like a genius betting on the athleticism. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with, with being a, a DPR right away for a team. You had the luxury to take a guy like that. You like the athletic traits, the league bets on traits, the league likes athletes. So he obviously fits that bill. <laughs> For the first time in a long time, the Chiefs pass rush feels interesting. Obviously, we don't really have a lot to complain about here in Kansas City as you uh, are sitting in Washington commander territory. Uh -huh. But uh, the Chiefs pass rush for a long time, even going back to back when it was Justin Houston and D Ford, it was very much just kind of like 
you four guys go get the passer every time. And then Spagnuolo's come in and we have some stunting and uh, at least some more creativity in the pass rush. But uh, D4, or, or not D4, Frank Clark is... He's been a postseason hero, but a regular season disappointment a little bit as far as what he was compensated for and what the trade was for him. But the Chiefs pass rush for the first time in a long time feels super interesting and super diverse, which is not something that's always been true. I agree. Um, next, we're going to move on to actually my favorite pick of the Chiefs class, and this is the defensive tackle, also a Shrine Bowl guy out of Texas, Keandre Coburn. They actually trade down and are able to still grab him. Um, one thing I'm interested with him, Ryan, and you can tell me how your analysis goes into this. This was the draft draft of thresholds, right? There were so many size thresholds on both ends of the spectrums that were kind of out, you know, outliers. And Keandre Coburn has some of the smallest arms of any defensive tackle to ever be drafted. Um, how much does that matter to you? Uh, as far as like, you know, he's a kind of a true one tech or three tech. What are your, what is your analysis of Coburn? And do you think that threshold matters? Yeah, I think the arms are, are really, they're always talked about with the big boys up front, whether you're talking about front five or defensive front, whether odd or even, but I like Keandre's tape. And I think that's what really comes down to it for me is turn on the tape and look at him. And that really goes with a guy, even on, on the defensive side of the ball that went high in this draft is Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh, one of the most explosive players pound for pound in this draft. But you look at Keandre, we mentioned Chris Jones at the top. He's going to feed off a guy like Chris and someone that can play the one, that can play the three. If you ask him to even play the nose and offer some unique bare front looks, you want to line three guys in the interior and have two guys stand up in FAU and George Kalaftis on the outside. You see that a lot with Green Bay. You can do that with him. And I think you turn on the Texas tape, another big 12 defense, some 3-3-5 stack, hybrid defense there at Texas. I just like the tape of Keandre. There are a lot of players along that front seven that we saw come out of Texas. Moro, Ojomo, Marvin Overshone went to Dallas for that second-level hybrid defender as well. Uh, for me, I know the arm length is going to scare a lot of people, the ability to really shock offensive linemen, work past them. But you look at his lower half, he's explosive, he's twitchy, he can move laterally. I'm not going to ask him a ton to two-gap, but I'm going to ask him to line in the, B, the line in the A-gap, line in the B-gap, and just blow somebody forward, clog gaps in the run game, and allow those guys behind you to free up those gaps, and allow those guys to, to blow up those running backs as they work past you. So Keandre Coburn, I know the arm length, again, will scare people, but I do like the film, so I get to bet on, and he will play off of Chris Jones extremely well. Defensive tackles slash nose tackles are a little bit weird in the draft too, because if you can rush the passer and be a true run stuffer, you're a first round pick. Yep. If you can do one of those things, which is usually stuff the run, it's interesting to see how the league values them. I mean, there were some, uh, a name that the chiefs brought in on top 30 was Broderick Martin. And he went like way higher than anyone expected. I love Broderick. Yeah. Love he's him. a big, big old boy. Uh, yeah. But, but, you know, kind of really just a true, like at this point, just a true run stuffer. Same with like Siaka Aika and a couple other players like that. So getting this at where they got him at was great. I was honestly surprised that Ojomo went after him. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote up his profile for the, for Arrowhead pride and was surprised he went, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I was very happy with the value of him and kind of what he does. And I think he gives, hopefully gives the chiefs the ability to move on from Derek naughty, or at least make De uh, limit Derek naughty's role. He's kind of struggled here in the last couple of years. Yeah, more competition. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And then yep. our last pick is a corner, Nick Jones. Uh, he was taken with the last pick in the, or the last Chiefs pick in the seventh round. Sounds like you're pretty high on Nick Jones out of Ball State. I do. I do like Nick Jones. Look, Shrine guy, someone in this process, not a small school guy from Ball State, but he's someone that has not, not the biggest guy in the world, but right below that six foot threshold, got near 33 inch arms. 
He clocked in at low four fives in the 40, but I think he plays that low four, four, mid four, four speed. He's someone, look, you look at this chief's corners room and I know a lot of young guys, right? Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, your headliner is luxurious Sneed, but you're still, those evaluations on those players are still unwritten. And I, I'm not going to jump ahead and say this draft grade is this for the chiefs or the draft grade is this for the chiefs, or I like it or I don't like it because really we have to look two, three years down the road and look back because bottom line these guys haven't even put a helmet on yet. They haven't put a Chiefs helmet on. They haven't even played an NFL snap yet. But when I look at Nick Jones in this young corners room, more corners, you can never – there's two positions where you can never have enough of. You can never have enough guys to get after the passer. You never have enough guys to understand how to corner, how to cover. Excuse me. And Nick Jones from Ball State, that CB4, CB5, immediate special teams contributor. You have to have guys like that. We talked about like that with Shamari Connor from Virginia Tech. I just really like the Nick Jones pick. I think he's an athlete that's been underrated in this class. I mentioned the length, so you can play him inside that contact window. We'll see if they want to play him a little bit at nickel, muse him there. Trent McDuffie can play some inside out. I know he lives at nickel for Kansas City, but it's more bodies in the room and special teams contributors, and I, I really do like Nick Jones. I think he's an extremely underrated player in this class. I Yeah, this this just screams like Brett Veach uh, money ball again when yeah. it comes to the length and everything. Honestly, between him and Shamari Connor, I feel like the Chiefs are kind of telling us through the tea leaves that like Legereus needs probably not going to be around next year, which yeah. honestly makes sense. Why pay elite money to a secondary player that it, you guys are so good at generating? And also like Legereus needs plays a very physical brand of corner play. They use him as a blitzer. He plays tough in the run. He's been a great player for the Chiefs, especially considering they got him in the fourth round pick. Take the comp pick for whatever contract he's going to get. And, and move on. I mean, they did that with Juan Thornhill. And Juan Thornhill obviously was not the player that Legereus Sneed has been for the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they've done this time and time again with Jalen Watson and even some, like, veterans that they were able to bring in. I mean, there was a time a couple of years ago where we were thinking Rashad Fenton was actually a good corner. And then he, <laughs> you know, gets traded to Atlanta and basically, you know, is out of the league almost. Yeah. Um, so, overall, the Chiefs grade, you said, you know, you're not a big, like, give a draft grade after all. Um, just kind of your impressions as a whole. We kind of talked about the Chiefs draft class and said, like, this class is much more high ceiling, low floor than some of the previous drafts. Did you have just kind of any major takeaways from what the Chiefs did as far as how they navigated the board and what it means for the current roster? Yeah, I respect the heck out of teams that stick to their board and get their guys where they get them. Um, not, not reaching too much, but also getting guys. If you like them, go get your guy. And I respect teams for doing that. Brett Feach has done that in the past and always kind of found these diamonds in the rough. You Trey Smith, your Isaiah Pacheco's of the world. But if I look at this entire class print, excuse me, price, I, I even want to kind of go into the UDFA range for Kansas city, because there's some players that they got in the UDFA range. I really like Cam Jones linebacker from Indiana, generic Prince from Tulsa, I think is going to open some eyes in camp. Truman Jones the edge rusher from Harvard. I mentioned it. I don't have to say it again as far as edge rushers. I can get after the passer. Look, Ivy League guy. Some of the, the Ivy League eyes from the scouts this year were Reed Nickerson at Yale and Truman Jones, who was a shrine guy. I like the game of Truman Jones coming off the edge. And I'm not saying he's going to be a starter, but someone that can compete for a roster spot potentially and live on the practice squad for you as a fresh set of legs that knock on wood, someone gets hurt because we know injuries are part of the game. So I even want to look at this class because they brought in a bunch of UDFAs, even a guy like Reese Taylor at corner. But overall, I'll give it a solid B right now. I don't think it was overwhelmingly crazy. I'm, the Rasheed Rice pick, I still want to see work out on the outside. I think you'll have success. I love the Wani Morris pick. I love the Nick Jones pick. I love the FAU pick. So I'll go, I'll go B right on the fringe of a B plus, including some of the UDFAs I just mentioned, because I really do think they, they're going to be some guys that can push the people. 
you were singing music to our ears. Those were all kind of the uh, UDFAs that we had targeted as well as kind of who we thought were some of the best signings. Generic uh, yeah. Prince is really exciting. He seems kind of, you know, I was really advocating for a pick uh, 250 for Keaton Mitchell out of Eastern Carolina, but he feels like he can probably bring quite a few of the similar things. This kind of the true one cut, get downfield, speed, a little bit smaller. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that. Brett Veach is like, okay, we've made seventh round starters, uh, running back ones. We're, we're moving on to UDFA. So um, it, <laughs> right. it'll be interesting to see kind of how that compares with Chiefs not picking up the fifth year option on Clyde Ward Delaire. I mean, I think there's a real chance that he might not break camp with the Chiefs. He might, you know, sure. be on another team. So be interesting to see how that goes. Um, well, B is pretty solid. I want to get your takeaways just kind of on some of the bigger draft class as a whole. Who was one team that you felt had the best haul, the team that you really enjoyed? Yeah, there's a lot of them for me, but I'll go one, and that will be the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and it starts with Anthony Richardson, just specifically because of the infrastructure that they do have around him, mainly with the shoulder to lean on in a guy like Shane Steichen. And we all saw what he did with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. And then you got Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. He got a decent front five. I think they can improve upon that. Um, but then you got Michael Pittman and Alec Pearson. They drafted a guy like Josh Downs out of North Carolina to replace Paris Campbell that really never worked out in Indianapolis. And then you grab guys on the perimeter on defense. You grab Julius Brents from Kansas state. You grab Darius rush long athletic corner. That was a former wide receiver convert. You grab you draft Tommy out the interior lineman from Northwestern on the defensive side of the ball. He can play one tech three, five. He can play four. I, you can stand him up. One of the most athletic players in the class. So, and they got him on day three. I didn't think he was going to screw out of the top 50 picks, but you grab him on day three. There's a lot of value. There's a lot of pop immediate producers, not just a guy come, that's going to come in and fill a roster spot and fill a jersey, but a guy that can actually serve a role for you. I absolutely love what the Indianapolis Colts did this week. You are, once again, hitting all my favorites. Yeah, the Colts is my favorite class as well. I Even some of the later guys that they grabbed, like Evan Hole was a guy that I really liked for the Chiefs, just yeah. like a pass-catching back that seems like a young quarterback's best friend. Obviously, it's all going to start, begin, and end with Anthony Richardson if he's – He's a bust. We're, we're not going to remember this, but they're, they're a team that seemed like they could really afford to take Josh Downs because of how much size they have on the field with Jelani Woods, Michael Pittman, wow. Alec Pearson. Crazy. So I, I really like that. The, you know, tackles definitely still a question for them. They're honestly a team that I'm kind of surprised wasn't in on Donovan Smith. I know yeah. that they grabbed Blake Freeland, but he's incredibly raw from the system in BYU. Um, but yeah, I, I love the Colts class. I, I want to get your thoughts on this a little bit. This, this will be the last thing. I'll stop pestering you with all these draft questions. I just love geeking out over it. Um, the Eagles class. Obviously, you, you, we can start with like most draft groups that get graded really highly have a lot of picks, especially at the top, right? So who are some of the winners of the draft? Well, the Seahawks. Well, you got the, the Texans, you got the Eagles, but I obviously Jalen Carter was, you know, a consensus top two or three player in this draft and fell a little bit because of some of the off the field issues. Nolan Smith sitting there at 30. He's a player that was frequently comp, uh, comp to Hassan Reddick, but I, I just feel like when we're looking back, we're talking about how draft grades and they change from year to year. I saw something last year that had the Eagles class still at an A from last year, and they've got like 400 collective off offensive and defensive snaps from Cam Jurgens, Jordan Davis, and to Kobe Dean. 
And it just it just feels like a little bit to me like sometimes we love what the Eagles do because they just pick dollar bills up off the ground that have fallen out of people's pockets, which is very true. But also, like, there's a reason why Nolan Smith was available at pick 30. There's a reason why Keely Ringo was there on day three. This was a guy, if you were doing a mock draft in September, would have had in the top 10. There's a reason why he fell for those. Um, Honestly, some of my favorite picks of the Eagles are not those picks. Like Jalen Carter, of course, you were going to get a good player at 10 or 9, wherever they moved up. It's Sidney Brown, terrific feat. A fit for them they had an obvious need there and i like the ojomo pick that one made a lot of sense those were some of my favorite picks but what were just kind of your takeaways for the eagles class yeah i uh maybe on the other side of the coin here with this i just when you grab guys like jalen carter and nolan smith in the first round especially a talent like nolan five-star best edge runner edge defender in the class as far as against the run at 230 pounds four three speed athletic intangibles he could be edge three behind hassan reddick and josh sweat along that front that's going to push in the interior I love the pick, uh, but I'm really glad that you mentioned Sidney Brown. This is, for me, one of the most in- enjoyable men to get to know in this process. He's one of the smartest athletes, I, really, in the last few classes. I mean, you're down at the Senior Bowl. He's coaching up the coaches. They only had three practices down there. He's coaching up everybody. He's letting people know where to be in man, in zone, what you're looking at pre-snap. He's on special teams. He's communicating to people. He's going to be the immediate fit in Philadelphia. The one pick, though, I really did not understand as far as scheme fit, and that is Tanner McKee to Philadelphia. Him and Jalen Hurts, as far as skill set perspective, opposite ends of the spectrum, but I don't know if they're trying to get a guy that maybe replicates Nick Foles, right? Big, static pocket passer, as far as just ability to pump throws out to these guys like Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. But that's that's really the only uh, pick that I questioned, but you grab Jalen Carter, you grab Nolan Smith. I like the Moro Ojomo pick more push along that front four and for Keely Ringo on the outside. Look, he's going to play behind James Bradbury and Darius Slay. I had my concerns of Keely. I like the speed. I like the size. I like the physicality inside the contact window, but his transitions in his lower half and his hips and his feet to be able to click and T-step on the outside. Those are not smooth at all. And he has to improve upon those or I'm just going to slide him back to safety. And, and he's going to probably potentially play some of that in this Philly defense that lost CJ Gardner Johnson. So we'll see. Ultimately, we talked about with Shamari here in Kansas City, but with Keeley, I do like the physical intangibles. He was a guy that was a round one lock solid guy for a lot of this pre-draft process, falls into day three, but the tools to get him there progress in this defense to where you're not going to ask him to cover for three, four, or five seconds on the perimeter because those guys up front are going to get home. I really like the pick and I like the overall draft class for Philly. Ryan, last question for you before we let you go. Who was your favorite or maybe not your favorite. It's probably already just come away with one, but who was like one guy that you'd stand on the table for in this draft, your favorite evaluation or a player that you really love that you're just excited to see their NFL career take off. Yeah. So last year for me with TDN, all my TDN guys know it was Christian Watson, wide receiver that went to green Bay and had a heck of a year for them. And this year it is another receiver and it's tank Dell. I know you look at the height, not the biggest guy in the world, small school guy from Houston, but now it stayed home with the Houston Texans in a receiver's room that just needs some flat out pop. I mean, you know, Robert Woods and Nico Collins, they don't scare me, but you know, they got John Mechie and they added Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa state as well. But Tank Dell is alignment versatile in the slot on the outside can give some special teams pop as well. We talked about it earlier with Rasheed Rice about separation. Separation wins. Watching him at the senior bowl, there was not a single guy that could cover him. And when you look at these smaller receivers, people think back to last year's senior bowl darling and Calvin Austin from Memphis that went to Pittsburgh. His appendages, if you look at Tank Dell, looks a lot like Devontae Smith. 
from Alabama now with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's built a lot like him. Longer legs, high hips, really good hands, can play above the rim. He plays bigger than 5'8", five, 5'9". I really like Tank Dell. I loved him throughout this process. I'm glad he's going to be in Houston, a part of that rebuild with C.J. Stroud pumping him football. So if there's one guy in this class that I'm glad he found a good spot and I've been pushing for this entire process, it is Tank Dell. I, I love that, especially because you have a player that is a threshold player. So, you know, if you're in the draft room or whatever and you're with a team, you got to stand on the table for this guy even no. beyond beyond the threshold. So, so I really like that. Ryan, it's been awesome having you on. We can find all of your great work at the Draft Network. I subscribe to the Draft Network. You should as well. They have a premium Discord. There's great fun in there. Some awesome football conversation. You want to go somewhere where someone actually cares about your mock draft and will talk to you about it, unlike Twitter, where they tell you you don't know what they what they know. TDN Premium Discord is where to do it at. Um, Ryan, do you have anything that you want to share or are you just like catching your breath after the draft? I'm sure. No, yeah. You mentioned all my work is at the draftnetwork.com written video and more audio. And then I have a commander's podcast. If you're interested in more burgundy gold stuff is the commanding the huddle. You can find on Spotify, uh, and Apple Podcasts. but yeah, just taking a deep breath, as you said, after 2023, but can't take too long. So we're heading into 2024. It is Caleb Williams season already. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. So underscore his name, and then another underscore Ryan. We're all smarter football fans for having you on today. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us at Arrowhead Pride. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bryce.